This is Bev. Um, hey, round of applause. Brilliant. Those of you that weren't here last year, Bev, I think probably spoke to us during lockdown and also has visited to us once. Um, Bev and I are both part of the faculty at uh, WT, Westminster Theological Centre. And, uh, and obviously Rich works for WTC and he's done his MA there and Dan and I did a grad dip together and I'm just finishing the MA there and, and Lou and Jenny are studying their sort of year out thing. That's not, so there's a lot of interaction with WTC and that's, that's how we, we met. Um, but yeah, fantastic to work together. What a great faculty it is WTC. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I'm hoping a short person. I know, well, you know, yeah. What you lack in height, you make up for in sort of general power, don't you, really? <laughs> anyway, this is Bev. Anyway, Bev, over to you. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Morning. I should say, morning, all. That's kind of, oh, look, thank you. Um, there's a couple of books out there, actually, only one of each, only two of each. Speak Life and Shut the Hell Up and Catalyst Being God's Agent for Change. So if you want any of them, they're 10 quid. Um, if they sell and you somebody else wants one, I can send it to you. Okay, that's that done. Um, wonderful to be here. And even though I only did meet Roger at WTC, I I have heard of Roger and Maggie Ellis for the entire time I was in the UK from 1996. I just never actually met them, and uh, and always heard amazing things about Revelation Church and the work that you guys are doing and have done and the way that you've shaped the body of Christ and the way that you have shaped the body of Christ to be a better and a stronger representation of who Jesus is. And just before I start, I'm going to say this, which is always surprising to British people, but um, I live in Australia again now. I lived in Britain for 17 years. Um, I came here thinking that I had the answers and um, found out that was completely untrue. And I've been shaped and strengthened and encouraged and deepened and matured by my time in Britain as part of the British church. And in going back to Australia and also being somewhat familiar with the church in Western nations, in other Western nations, I firmly and without any hypocrisy or um, anything, and this is not flattery, I believe the British church is way ahead as far as the Western church is concerned. We are not... Um, the Western church is the smallest of all the churches uh, in the world, the de developing world and the persecuted church are far stronger and far larger than the Western church. But the Western church is rich and therefore feels like we've, we've all got it together. But I see in, in, the, in the British church a humility and a willingness to connect with the community in ways that uh, I did not understand when I first arrived here, didn't even understand why you were doing it. But it changed me and transformed me. And even to be in this church today and, and other British churches as well, where the kids are just doing stuff, you know, the church that, that the churches in Australia, um, the children, that's just not possible. That's just not possible. We just don't have that happening because the kids are um, the distraction. But here we are and the body of Christ can totally cope with that. I've, I watched people worshipping in deep worship while the kids were just running around having fun and I thought to myself, God, I wish I'd have known that. 
back in the day that it was all right to do that. So I honestly believe that the British church has something to show the church in the Western world. You, you not making a big song and dance about it, but you, you are leading the world in the way forward as far as representing Christ to the communities and to the world that we're in. So I feel like that's very important to say. And you might say, well, hang on a minute, you don't know what all these churches are like. Well, I probably do because I've been a pastor for about 35 years, but I'm not now. God, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a life sentence. But... Uh, <laughs> I do know, but I also know that there's a grace and a humility that's really across the board in almost at almost every level in the British church. So anyway, that's that. Thanks, Lord, for being here. Thanks that we gather together and, Lord, you just accept us and you're not distracted by the kids running around and you're not distracted by us doing other things. But, Lord, you just presence yourself with us and we feel your presence we don't need something to be absolutely in a paradigm and a, 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 a some kind of square in order for us to be able to worship you. But Lord, you, you're with us at every level and that's what enables us to worship you at every level. So Lord, we're so grateful to you for that. And I thank you that you are here today and that in the middle of the things that I'm speaking about, that you will speak to all of our hearts, including my own, and you'll give us revelation about who you are and what it is that you're asking of us, the Church of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now, we're in a decade of accelerating change. We're surrounded by every different kind of change. And I'm not even going to mention the C word and any pandemic because all that was was a representation of what is happening in the world today. There are so many changes, so much happening. Climate crisis, Black Lives Matter, refugees, racism, sickness, all sorts of different things. So the times are very turbulent and people are confused about how to stand, who to stand with, who to stand against, how to do it. And sometimes um, in many cases and in many branches of the church, there is this kind of written down thing that says, if you're a Christian, you vote this and you think that and you support these people in that war. And there's and good godly people who are kind and gracious under normal circumstances will swallow all sorts of things because that was written down. This is what Christians should believe and how they should think and how they should vote, etc. And so there's this school of thought that tells us or that wants to tell us what to believe and how to believe. And we really, we are complicit in that because in many ways I definitely know that I could be like this. We, uh, we look for ways to not have to go to the Lord ourselves and find out what the Lord's saying about any given situation or any particular uh, way because if, if the pastor said it or if, you know, my denomination said it or if this is what my group of people say, I don't have to ask the Lord. And so I don't have to um, narrow that down, narrow down that decision making because I've been told this. And so, you know, it's hard to seek God. It's hard to find his way sometimes when things are difficult. So if someone can tell me this is God's way, then I can just take that on board. And my first years as a Christian were spent that way. My pastor said, this is what God's saying. We all just saluted and said, okay. 
Um, and it, it saved time, but I tell you what, it didn't save pain in the long run. It didn't save pain. Uh, a writer, David Gushy, says, We are in a crisis of culture with a visible loss of moral wisdom, spiritual moorings and religious transcendence. We need to talk about this and not just about how awful our enemies are and how much we want them to disappear. So being in relationship with Jesus Christ can set us on a different plane if we let it. And I say if we let it because it's possible to agree mentally with our Christian belief system without being continually changed by it. Now, I am 72. I got saved when I was 22 and I've been on a journey ever since. And there have been times when I've been tempted to stop and feel like this is this is it now. I've pretty well got it together and if anybody wants any advice or support, I can just tell them everything I've always told them before. But we are in a different time and a different place and a, and so many different situations that we can hardly believe it. And we have maturity is something that requires change for us to keep growing and keep changing. If I'm not growing, I'm not changing. And if I'm not changing, all the world is going to get from me is religious rhetoric. And that, you know, those are words really that don't match up with the way that I live. God forgives everybody. Everybody's welcome into the church. Oh, not you because your lifestyle is. So could you just fix your lifestyle before you come in and get forgiven? That we're living many in many ways. The church is living and spouting words in ways that don't match up with the way we live. And therein lies the pain of much of the world that we live in. The wars and the calamities that reject whole people groups and allow us to operate with prejudice disguised as godliness. So in the way that we think it's right to make judgment on who is a follower of Christ or not, who we should baptise, who we shouldn't baptise, such judgment, who we should support, whose war we should support against whose war we're, we're not going to support. Um, while we celebrate Christianity in that, and I realise that this is a very forward-thinking church, and in many ways I'm preaching to the choir, but I have more to say about this, that when we celebrate that kind of Christianity that's laid its lines down very, very strongly, we're not celebrating the Christ who came to sacrifice his life for anyone, anyone, anyone who could come to him. So he never gave us the criteria that we could use to set aside this is who belongs and this who is who doesn't belong. And in actual fact, one of the things that I, I came to realise is that the body of Christ is the most exclusive group of people in the world. You can't buy your way in. You can't trade your way in. Your parents being in it won't make you be in it. So it's absolutely exclusive. The only way you can get into the body of Christ is to have this heart exchange with Jesus Christ who died for us and who, who welcomes us into his very presence. But it's also the most inclusive group in the world because anybody can do that. And as soon as they do that, they step in. And that flies in the face of our understanding in so many ways. So Jesus didn't say, 
this is the criteria and you can work it out from there. In fact, he says that um, it's the job of the angels and in the last days they're going to be sorting out the good from the bad and um, the wheat from the weeds and all the rest of it. So when he came into the world, he, it was so that we could become recipients when we grasp that and receive him as our Lord and Saviour. So this is the scripture that I'm basing that on. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. I, I'm a word person. I love words. It's hard for me to work with figures, but I really love words. And... Um, about nine years ago, my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was given four months to live and then there was just this one doctor who was willing to give him a bit of a chance, which actually in the end bought three more years. But um, it was to have his stomach removed. And so he was in hospital having his stomach removed and I, I just needed to know Emmanuel. And so I went and had it tattooed on my wrist so that every time I was just too focused on looking down and being overwhelmed that I would see that word so that I could look up and I could look out again and understand that Emmanuel is the God who was with me, the God who was with us. Now, there's never lived a person who's not made in the image of God. We have marred that image. We've trodden on it. We've cut it. We've shot at it. We've enslaved it and bruised it and humiliated it. And over the centuries, we've killed the image of God in ourselves and in other people countless millions of times and more times than we would ever want to know to be true. It has been in the name of the God who loved us, who created us in his image, who gave his life for us, to us, all of us. Now, um, recently, there's uh, a guy, uh, Reverend Munta Isaac, and he is a Palestinian Lutheran pastor. He's the academic dean of Bethlehem Bible College, and he's been speaking about the issues that are relevant to them. And he, he, this quote, which is so powerful, where is God in war? And I think many times we hear people say that to us or we think about that ourselves. Where is God in the midst of all this horror, in the, all of this brokenness, in the midst of families that have been torn apart by domestic violence or by war or by earthquake or by displacement or by climate price crisis or by any other of those things that we are overwhelmed by? Where, where is God in the war? God is under the rubble. God is under the rubble with us. He's not in the war room with the generals and the presidents. God came to us. He came to all of us. And when he came, it was so that anybody could be his. So initially, from the whole world, he narrowed that that concept down to a special people. Abraham was the father of the Jews and, and they were a type of what God was going to do in the future. And their freedom involved the fact that he had chosen them, but also that on this regular basis, they had to keep sacrificing and their freedom involved the sacrifice of animals for their sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, 
the need for sacrifice was dissolved forever because Jesus was the sacrifice for sin once and for all. And so through his sacrifice, that chosen people group opened up wide again. And Revelation 7 says to every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation, we who once were not a people group are now the people of God. So no longer is this there this special elite task force of unblemished men from a certain family line to be able to serve as priest. And no longer is there a need for the regular sacrifice of animals. And no longer is there one race of people more special than the rest. Because when Emmanuel came, he came to all of us. John chapter 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it says, and we don't quote this anywhere near as much, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So authentication as one of God's people, chosen people, no longer relies on birth or race or gender, but it relies on the blood of Jesus Christ laid down for every person who's been made in his image, which is all of us. And yes, we are mutilated and flawed and distorted by life and by grief and by brokenness, but God knew that when he came to be one of us. He laid down his perfection his beauty, his splendor to identify with us in our own broken, sin-sick state. And um, I, I can't even imagine my God making himself so tiny to be able to fit into the womb of a teenage girl and going through all that process and then being birthed into the world the same way as you were birthed into the world and making the same, having the same indignities of learning to feed himself and growing and the, way, the things we experience, but he left his splendor to become one of us in all our feeble inadequacy. And one of us, all of us, so whatever your background is and whatever you've experienced, and some of us have experienced more horror than others, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says he comes in the form of a beggar, of the dissolute human child in ragged clothes. He confronts you. He confronts me in every person that you meet. As long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor. Do you know when um, when the, the Jesus is talking to the guy about the Good Samaritan, the, the reason he's talking to him about the Good Samaritan is because the guy said, well, who is my neighbor? And the reason he asks who is my neighbor is because he wants to know who he can exclude. He wants to know who he's not going to have to worry about. And, you know, I think we're going to be astonished at who's going to turn up in heaven. And maybe they get a front seat and we're sort of somewhere in the back. So where is God in times of war and earthquake and flood and drought and horror? He's, he's under the rubble. He's under the rubble in every nation that is being destroyed by another people group. But this is the ironic thing. He's not for the victim and against the oppressor. He's with the whosoever, which is shocking. I know that because I read it in the Bible. The nation of Israel, who were the people of God at that stage, they were the elect. They'd escaped from slavery. They'd made this 40 years of journey through the wilderness. 
And now they're just about to cross over into the promised land, which has been something they've been looking for generations toward doing. And Joshua's the new leader. And I think for any leader, but especially a brand new leader, it's really difficult to think, gosh, we're about to go into this massive new land, new world, new way of living. And so Joshua goes for a walk and um, he's just, I suppose, trying to think it through and he's praying and he's just trying to get some calm happening in his life so he's going to be able to bring calm to other people. And he knows that there's trouble and there's fights and there's issues ahead and he's relying on God being with them, God with us. And so it says in Joshua 5 verse 13, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of them with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua fell face down in reverence and asked him, What does my Lord have to say to his servant, me? You, us. What does the commander of the Lord's army have to say to us when we say, are you on my side? He says, take your sandals off for the place that you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And I was really, I loved being in the prayer meeting this morning. I was particularly taken by the fact that Roger spoke about we have to stand in a certain place where we stand is really important and it is so common for believers to believe that God is on our side I don't know a lot of you won't know who Bob Dylan is but some of you are going to remember Bob Dylan (laughs) he had a terrible voice but we loved him Um, and he sang this song in the 60s with God on our side which is very relevant today and one of the verses says The reason for fighting I never did get, but I learned to accept it, accept it with pride. For you don't count the dead when God's on your side. And, you know, I just had this revelation recently, I suppose, because I listened to some people who were trying to get me to understand that I needed to take sides in a war that's being fought somewhere. And um, and it was that... God with us can never be translated to God is on my side. And if we don't know that, we will not know how to stand on holy ground. Now, Christmas Eve 1914, at the very beginning of World War I, the Germans and the Brits were out there in the trenches. Their trenches were about 100 yards apart. And the Brits are here and the Germans are there. It's freezing cold. The only light is the light of this starry sky that looked down on them. But it's just so bitter. And they're just laying there in this night. And all of a sudden, a German soldier began to sing Silent Night. And they all listened. And then one by one, from both sides, the Germans and the Brits all began to sing together, Silent Night. And it opened something astonishing in that war. Just for some hours, they began to come out and relate with each other, right up and down those lines, actually. They, they played football together. They, they gave gifts to their enemy, cigarettes and food. They gave gifts to their enemy. And 
for a while, they all stood on holy ground. That no man's land was converted to holy ground. And, and until actually, because soldiers just have to do what they're told by the generals in the war room, they had to start killing each other again. The British believed that God was on their side. The Germans believed that God was on their side. But in that moment, when everything was quiet, holy ground emerged in that cold, dark time. And the horror was suspended just for a little while. And the war zone became holy ground. We so easily default to thinking that God with us means God is on my side and therefore not on your side. But Emmanuel is a state of the heart. He is with us. But if we don't understand that we're all made in the image of God and that God loves us all, there will always be war in our hearts. And we will always be sure that God is on my side. And yet the Bible speaks of so many times when the people of God took the presence of the God of God into the battle and still lost the battle. Because God with us is not the same as God's on my side and he's going to stand for me no matter what I do, no matter what terrible things I do, God is just going to be with me. You know, God was with them, but he wasn't on their side because everybody's created in the image of God. So when we convert God with us to being God on our side, we lose the meaning of Emmanuel and we have no concept then of Christ joining us under the rubble of our lives and in the horrors that we're experiencing, especially as they connect with other people and the feeble, toxic, pride-filled prejudices and implacable, merciless opinions that are surging through our world today infect the church because they're absolutely hostile to the essence of Emmanuel. And when believers in Christ propagate those beliefs, we stand against everything that Jesus came for. I'm not talking about standing against injustice because we do need to stand in, against injustice. Um, you know, But we can disagree completely and entirely with another person and still understand you're made in the image of God. And as we stand together here, you deserve dignity, you deserve respect, you deserve me to, to see that the image of God is in you. That, that it needs to be, because that's not taking sides. Yes, it's saying, I don't agree. It, you know, we can say, the things that are being done there are absolutely wrong without, without taking sides. Because the, thing that, that the problem with people is that we're all wrong some ways and that incites other people to be wrong back at us. I'm wrong to you and you're wrong back. And so it's, it's, it's not that thing. He came knowing that all of us are beyond hope without him. But he comes saying, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says... From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And that's what it is to stand on holy ground. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then, this is the astonishing bit, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we can still make a stand against wrong. I'm not in any way going easy on that. We've got to make a stand against wrong. We've got to say these things are inhumane. They're horrendous. This has to stop. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we we can see in America just how your vote has completely polarised people from one end to the, to the next. But Jesus knew personally what it was to be a member of a poor and a marginalised group. The nativity scenes that we had last month, they're all glittering in the shopping centres in their homes, are a very far cry from the stench and the poverty that Jesus was born into. Our saviour was an illegitimate refugee whose family fled to Egypt to save his life and a whole lot of other little boys got killed In the process of that, we sing with the poor and mean and lowly, lived on earth, our saviour, holy. But really, Western Christianity is wealthy and complacent and highly opinionated about who can belong and who cannot. And we don't understand that most of the Christian world is outside of the West. The fastest growing church in the world is Iran. In the middle of war and absolute horror. And Iranian Christians are reaching out to Afghanis at an astonishing rate. In the middle of the war and the horror of that, there are people who have a revelation of Emmanuel and they are standing on holy ground doing the thing that God has called them to. So Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He's the Emmanuel who doesn't live in a political arena where ambitious men struggle to be the top God. He's under the rubble with the victims. Fear is a weapon of mass destruction and terrorists are absolutely afraid. So are politicians. So is anybody who's struggling for their own right to be in charge. So Jesus repeatedly says, don't be afraid. He doesn't mean... He doesn't mean don't be aware of the dangers and feel that emotionally within you, but he means don't let fear rule so that you end up retaliating and becoming like the person that it, that is attacking you. Don't let that happen. Fear is the primal response and power is the other side of fear. If I can just have power, I won't have to be afraid. It's, pe- it's fear that makes us decide who we can reject, allows us to decide who can or can't be Christ followers, who God is on the side of in the wars that are being fought of. But Joshua asked the wrong question to the commander of the heavenly armies. Are you on our side or on their side? And we ask the wrong question when we try to make God choose our side because we have no idea that the place we stand is holy ground if we understand Emmanuel, God with us, God with us, and this Other person is made in the image of God. And so God is with them too, even if they don't know it and haven't received him and don't have any context of how we're going to, how God can bring them through. We have 
you know, the thousands of wars all over the planet were based on the one massive error that God is with us and not with them. And the God in whose image we are all created weeps for the hatred and the fear and the terror of his people. And it's really ironic how people can go to war against each other thinking that God is on their side when they love God and in so many other ways they've, they understand. But our Christianity is so civilised. It's so middle class. It's so safe and steady. But the beautiful lives that we try to create for ourselves can never adequately reflect the God who left the grandeur and the glory of his home in heaven to become one of us. He was not born in a palace and he easily could have been. He didn't hobnob with the rich and famous. He doesn't drive a Mercedes. He doesn't have days out on his yacht. He isn't trying to work out to make sure that his investments are stable. He's not doing that. Spiritual warfare is real, but it isn't about whether people accept that we are Christian or not. It isn't about how people treat us. It's about whether the church, we who are God's people, can repent of our pride and our prejudice to be able to open our arms to the whosoever because that's what Jesus does and did when he was when he became Emmanuel the God with us so peace on earth can only come through peace in each heart and the peace in each heart comes from the peace that passes all understanding but listen to me the peace that passes all understanding can only come when we give up our right to understand. And that's just so, so deep. To have the peace that passes all understanding, I've got to give up my right to understand. And there are things out there that we do not understand. Maybe we'll never understand this side of heaven. But we have to have that peace that Emmanuel is with us in this. And when we... We come and we bring our opinions and we bring the wounds of our heart to God and look for holy ground. God with us begins to find a place in our lives where we can stand on holy ground, where we can stand in that right place. It might not get fixed up. Those people might not change. But this is about the people of God standing in the sure and certain knowledge that where I am is holy. I have God with me. I am able to treat these other people the way that Jesus would treat them, even though I don't, they don't, even though we don't belong together, even though we're poles apart. So it's very easy for us to default to putting people on the other side of the fence, the other side of forgiveness, the other side of belonging. But God did not classify sin so that some sins are beyond his power of salvation. Even some of the warmongers that we're seeing out there. Um, this Reverend Munta Isaac that I quoted before, a larger quote says, Jesus is no stranger to pain, arrest, torture and death. He walks with us in our pain. God is under the rubble in Gaza and Ukraine and India and Sudan, and Afghanistan, and Israel, and Russia. He's with the frightened and the refugees. He's in the operating room. This is our consolation. He walks with us 
through the valley of the shadow of death. We make a mistake when we try to bring God down to our level and look for safe, recurrent solutions and answered answers that are more centered on our belief system and the culture that we live in rather than Jesus Christ, the God who is with us. We are not called to listen, this is really important. We are not called to save Christianity from the devil. We really aren't. We're called to bring his love and his presence to this generation and the generations to come in a world that's suffering from trauma and pain. And our task is not to be the judge and jury and find where people are wanting and take sides one against the other. Religion does that. God with us can be with in us to reach out to the people around us in the hope that they can find love and respond to him. So in every generation, in season and out of season, in war or climate crisis or pandemic or disagreement about human rights, the clarion call to the church is to show what it is to to be a, a people for whom Emmanuel means that God that they're going to be treated in the same way that Jesus would treat them. And when we stop our own judgments and our own easy, clipped, trite answers and look for ways to give people dignity, embrace them because Christ gave me dignity, when we do that and they can know his presence too, we will be amazed at the way that God will work through us. But it's about firstly receiving revelation that God with us means God is with me in this and that wherever I stand and wherever I go and whomever I am with, God can, that place can be holy ground because even whether God's with them or not, he's with me. And so if I don't win the argument or I don't argue or they're more powerful or any of those other things, there's still this thing within that I am standing on holy ground and to the best of my human ability, I'm bringing the Christ to this person and it may not make a difference today, but you know what? That goes into the depths of who people are. They walk away and they think and there's this intangible thing that directly touches their lives I look back on people who spoke to me about Christ before I was ever a Christian and at the time I didn't think it made a difference but now I can see this line of impact that those people had before I knew they were having that that can happen with all of us if ever the world needs a church who understands Emmanuel it is now father in the name of Jesus We feel so absolutely inadequate for this. It's so hard and we've all got arenas in our life where we think, yeah, but what about that? What this thing? I can't, don't know what to do about it. I can't even work out how to make that work, Lord, in this context. But, Lord, we know that because you are with us, if we draw on you, you will enable us to make every place that we stand holy ground. Every place that we stand, holy ground. Lord, that's, that's, our, that's our hope. That's our only hope, Lord, that you will do it. Faithful are you who have called us, for you also will bring it to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.